Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I talk with Amy Skinner about mindful horsemanship, troubled horses, and her training philosophy based on balance, trust, and respect. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I had discovered you, and I'm sure many other people already knew about you, but I discovered you through Facebook. You run a really great page, Amy Skinner Horsemanship page, and I love the mix of things that you have on that page. It speaks to classical dressage, horsemanship, many different things, emotional discipline, physical balance, but I really like the way you put all of that together. It's kind of unique. And then you always have really great sort of illustrations, either through your own videos or through interesting articles you've linked to or through your podcasts. So, oh, thank you. yeah, I really enjoy it. Plus, your tone's <laughs> really down to earth. Like, you seem like, like a normal, real person. So that's I kind of Yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> nobody's looking. So I really wanted to have you on the podcast because okay. a lot of times people who uh, work with horses who are good with horsemanship sometimes they can be a little inaccessible unless you ride in their clinics or if you know them. So, so for my listeners who might not have heard of you, I have listeners now in 50 States and 50 countries, just in case they haven't heard of you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you think is kind of the key things about your work could be how you came to this work or the things, your philosophy, whatever you think is most important. Um, and well, also, tell us about your dog who's in the car as well. Oh, yeah. Hey, Pearl, come here. Pearl. Come on, Pearl. Come here, come here, come here. This is Pearl. Hi, Pearl. Pearl is my four-year-old blue healer. She goes everywhere with me, and she's a little spoiled. So when I left <laughs> out the door this morning, she jumped in my car, and I was like, well, why not? <laughs> well, and, and secretly, I wanted to interview Pearl. So we just yeah. we just kind Pearl. of told you so that you would bring her. Yeah. Pearl could ask. She could tell some real secrets about me, and thankfully, she won't do that. Today. Oh, well, that's good. She signed a <laughs> she signed one of those non-disclosure agreements. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so my work has actually changed a lot over the last few years. So I'm still like I would say rebranding it for lack of a better term. Um, but I started out about 10 years ago doing problem horses. And I thought I was just doing regular horse training. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these horses that I were getting, uh, that I was getting were problem horses, but people didn't know it. You know, they would bring right. me a horse to tune up or to work on. Um, and so over the years, I got a lot of practice at working with problem horses. Mm-hmm. But I found that the general public didn't have a clue what a problem horse was, uh, what behaviors are neurotic or or not healthy mm-hmm. and people were just sort of hoping for a, a band-aid to be slapped on so they could go back out on the trailer go back to the show or you know they, they kind of thought of me as like a you know just come stuff my horse in the trailer and please go away like don't yeah. tell me how to integrate all these things into my life and change my you know opinions and change my day-to-day handling and all that stuff. So that's when I really was like, okay, there's a huge need in the horse world to understand the way horses think, to understand the way horses move, to understand how our day-to-day handling affects them. Um, and, And I got to realizing that so many people don't know what a mentally and physically sound horse looks like because it's so rare, actually, that, um, these kind of neurosis, is normal, you know, like, like weaving and, and wind sucking. And, you know, my horse just does that. He's just like that. He's quirky. He's odd. And I started to realize, you know, like, 
this is so bizarre that uh, it's really hard to find healthy, happy horses in a natural herd situation. So mm -hmm. that's when I started to really change my focus from being a problem solver to being a more um, integrative type of work. So now when I take training horses in, it includes body work, it includes lessons for the owner, it includes um, balancing for the horse. We look at why the horse is behaving that way. And then we go through all of the the list of things that might contribute to that behavior and we fix every one of them. And now the people that I work with are people who are interested and willing to do that. Right. Right. As opposed to someone who's coming in and saying, fix it all in 30 days. Like, right. He, he bucks. So just make him stop bucking. Yeah. So I can ride. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't ever want to come back. And I, I certainly, yeah. I don't want to change. Like it's not about me. It's about fixing the horse. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> the last one I had like that, I got an email and the, the lady was like, you know, he's bucking um, and I'm looking for somebody to help me ride the bucks out so I can get on. I really don't want to get hurt. And I thought, well, like, gee, I also don't want to get, get hurt. hurt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think you're paying me to like almost kill myself? That's not my job. If you could just get him tired so he doesn't buck as hard. <laughs> that would be great, Amy. That would be perfect. <laughs> so I realized like, I don't want to get hurt either. And yeah. like, I also don't want to buck him out because that's not good for him either no and I think that's a kind of an interesting thing that comes up a lot so um, I do two things I work with a resource adoption program called Lope, and okay. um, and then the second thing I do is horse wise the podcast and I do some horsemanship coaching but I started working with x-ray sources zero qualifications you could argue still have zero qualifications <laughs> and what people would tell me when these horses would come in is they'd say oh you need to ride him down. And I'm like, well, he's right. a resource. So right. riding him down is like Tuesday. To him. Like, yeah. They just, they just get ingrained. It's almost like an OCD behavior. And right. um, those are the horses that kind of introduced me to this idea of what's really going on there. Like what is really going on? And a lot of times it's stuff that needs to be addressed in a slow way before yeah. you, and that's, that's something that I really have noticed about your work is that you're almost always when you're talking about the horses you're working with or the approach you have it, it's getting down to what is the horse doing in the most basic fundamental way how he carries mm -hmm. himself physically how he is on the end of a halter lead rope mm -hmm. all these things that rather than going well if we just get him jumping high enough he'll be fine kind of thing, <laughs> just kind of gloss over it so um so i just find that really it, it, I think you do that in a really unusual way in that you break it down. I, I know most people who, who work successfully with problem horses always, almost always have an underlying fundamental philosophy underneath it that gets down to not just putting a Band-Aid on it, but I think you really express it well in, oh, in how you. you put it together. That, that, again, that kind of integrative approach that you have. Well, I think that so much of problem horse training focuses so much on the problem that mm -hmm. it almost increases the anxiety for the horse about that problem. And like herd, uh, herd bound behavior is a really good example because you see you have a horse who's herd bound and we, you know, take them away from their horse and let them rest and bring them to the horse and just work the tar out of them. And you're going to work, right. work, 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 work. So the horse learns that like, I'm with my person with my friend, but I'm super anxious and I'm getting worked. And like the only place I can get relief is over here where I'm really anxious. So I learned that I have to hold still, but I never get calm mentally. So they mm -hmm. learn what behaviors will get released and what won't, but they never get more mentally calm about the situation and if you think about a horse a horse's fundamental needs is to be with the herd it makes perfect sense for them to be 
nervous away from their herd. So you add anxiety on top of something they already were anxious about. It really clicked for me when I worked with a guy who found out that I was introverted and he was like, Oh, we got to fix that. I'm going to take you to parties. I'm going to take you to all these places. You're going to meet all my clients. And he started like setting me up to like be trapped in these situations I wasn't prepared for where people would bombard me and be like, Hey, it's great to meet you. And it made me so much worse. It made me more anxious. And then I got to where every time I turned around a corner, I was like, are there going to be people here that I haven't met yet? Like all he's done is make my anxiety about meeting people a hundred times worse. Right. It's almost like, yeah, like you'd almost like it shut down. Like you'd be like, well, if I'm quiet and don't act freaked out, exactly. maybe he will stop bringing exactly. me to parties. <laughs> That's what I learned. It's like, I know how to get out of this situation. It's just meet everybody, be quiet, and then figure out how to get out of it. But I never got more comfortable. And then I got, that really clicked for me that, you know, these horses are learning what behaviors will get a release, but they aren't getting more relaxed. Right. And what is it that you think in your experience and again, in your philosophy, what is it that helps them truly become more relaxed? What is the combination of factors that you like to look at and, and help the horse with? Well, I think I do. I spend a lot of time watching their expression mm-hmm. and there's a lot of cues going on in the face and the body to tell that they're anxious before a behavior has ever popped up. So, you know, what I used to do years back is I would take a horse away from the herd and I would be out in the arena and suddenly they'd have a meltdown and that would be the time that I would work on it. And now I look at the horse, as soon as I put the halter on and start heading for the gate, there's anxiety already popping up in their face and they haven't exploded yet, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now I found that if I address it in the tiny little pieces as it pops up and, and the horse's fundamental need aside from eating and shelter is to be with a herd, to have security. That's the Mm -hmm. number one thing that they want in life is to be secure. So if I take them away from their herd, they're already questioning their security. Am I going to be okay? And, and it's, you know, we all know from our own experiences, especially during COVID, like all of us are stressed, we're anxious, we're right. not knowing what the state of the world is. And we found that learning is getting really hard for us. Doing our jobs is really hard for us. Um, but we have a hard time empathizing with the horse. He's just supposed to do it. You know, I pay his board, I feed him, I brush him. Why won't he just work for one hour a day? But to him, his whole world is falling apart when we take him out of the uh, pasture. Oops, I'm sorry. I don't know what just happened there. Sorry, I got a phone call. Anyway. I thought, wow, she's got, she's got sponsors in her car. Wow. (laughs) For for our listeners who aren't going to be watching this, this, this sort of, uh, JPEG image of an ad popped up right over Amy's face. So I guess that was from your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so if I tell, if I make sure the horse understands that I'm not removing security, that they can always come back, I might take them away from the herd, come back, take away from the herd, come back. And I might not leave more than three feet from the fence a hundred thousand times till they finally realize that they're okay. I'm acknowledging their needs. Now we can go to work when they're, when their mind is calm, but so much of our training happens when their mind isn't calm. And so they don't retain understanding. They just learn what behaviors uh, are going to get them in trouble and how to not get in trouble. So they're right. basically being chased by aversive cues all the time. Yeah, they're not really yeah. participating then exactly. in, in the in the task at hand or the activity. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that makes a big difference. Yeah. 
it makes a huge difference. And, and it can be something as simple as, you know, I grew up riding uh, jumpers and dressage horses. And I was, you know, like I have to have the inside rein for bend. If I let it go, they're going to look to the outside. You know, if I don't keep my leg on, they're going to not go or they're going to go too fast. Or, you know, you're constantly chasing these problems. And I could ride very successfully, I would say, but I didn't realize how little I had their mind until I started riding horses who were actually involved in what I was doing. And it was like a dream come true. Like I don't have to hold this inside rein. I don't have to nag you into going. I don't have to fix all these body parts from head to tail because the body is going the way that I want them to go. And most right. people I think only experience that when they're on their way back to the barn or they're like, <laughs> like I'm straight. <laughs> I'm totally focused. No problems. Yeah. Right. 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 No yeah. resistance at all. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was um, working with uh, a client the other day and I was explaining to her how the difference between being fixed in a silhouette of a position versus actually being relaxed and in the position. And on the example I gave was of a plie for a person. Uh -huh. Let's say a person has a little trouble with a the plie. They, they, they feel like it's a little, they can't quite do it. And I said, I could put you into a stone box so that you would be forced to stand in a plie position. In other words, if you lift yeah. it up too much, you would hit your head. If you went down too much, you would scrape your butt on the, right. on, the on the stone wall. And you would learn to assume a perfect plie position in terms of how it looked as a silhouette, but you would be rigid. You'd be hating every moment of it. You wouldn't truly be able to relax into that posture. And if I were to remove the stone wall just like that and ask you to leap up, you would just fall over because you didn't right. have any real basis. Whereas if you have a horse or a person who is a little nervous about a plie, you would gradually show them how to assume parts of the posture and then relax out of it. And eventually so that that became a more comfortable thing. And then they would seek it out. They would That's say, a oh, great come analogy. Yeah. And so, and that really kind of was a light bulb moment because it's because we get fixed on the silhouette, right? Particularly in mm -hmm. some show disciplines, right? Judges have to have some standard. So people right. go, my horse um, you know, he has the perfect headset and the horse is just like holding his breath. Like, and I know if I move my head anyway, yeah. like I'm going to, yeah. so that's kind of the difference between having a horse that's participatory, but also like you said, with the dressage, when you're holding them into place all the time, they're not really carrying themselves. So they can't right. develop like the balance. And then, you know, if you're pushed and prodded into a position, it's just not as comfortable for a person either. So yeah. it just makes sense. Well, I regularly get dressage horses in that if you would let go of the reins, they would fall down. Right. Because they're using your hand for a crutch and they don't like it, but they don't know anything else. So if you don't support their head and neck, they, they actually can't maintain their right. balance, which is, and not that they were balanced to begin with, but they, they have come to rely on your hand, which is really sad. Yeah. And I think you had a, a really cool... Um, and I'll, and for my listeners, I will link to this in the show notes so you can see this specific image, but you would link to Amy showing a horse's skeleton with correct bend and with mm -hmm. incorrect bend when the rider's relying on the inside rein too much to draw the head around and the complete yeah. difference in those two postures. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, so I just did a clinic this weekend and that was really fun because I had a bunch of my riders who were riding horses that, you know, some of them were stiff as a board and some were like a wet noodle. 
Um, and it was interesting because everyone to turn would have the inside rein, you know, to pull the inside rein to make the horse bend. It, not, I'm not talking pulling like they were horrible people ripping right, their right, teeth right. out, but you know, they pull the inside rein to get the horse to turn. So the horse falls in. So then the inside leg comes in to fix that. And then the horse falls out. So then the outside rein corrects that. And it's like this circle has turned into just a, a Jenga game where if you pull right. one more piece out, the horse is going to fall down. Um, and so I worked on having these riders feel the shoulders and feel how when one shoulder gets out of balance, if you fix it with the rein, the horse leans on that rein more because anytime you add pressure, the horse resists that pressure by going into it until you add another force to push it away. Right. Um, so when both shoulders were going equally forward, suddenly these horses were turning beautifully with, with a loose inside rein. And the riders are like, wow, I've never felt anything like this, but it, it's, it's actually really simple. It's just not easy. And the hard part for us is to just let go of the, the instinct that we have to just make the turn happen. Right. You know, right. and we've all gotten, I think, accustomed to thinking of bend as this excessive head and neck, like it looks prettier when there's a head and neck coming over. Right. Um, and, and I, I would say the large majority of horses are over bent most of the time. And you, yeah, and you just posted, I think, a, was it a Bruce Sandifer with a horse? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, Bruce that, yeah, beautiful horse. Beautiful horse, and, and it was very, it's a very delicate thing, the bend. It isn't really the nose coming over at all. It's more in the vertical, and it, you can just see that horse is perfectly aligned, and then, of course, there's no tension in the rein at all, right? Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. Off on, it's just it's like off the most the perfect seat. picture, yeah. Yeah. So I'll link to that too um, for my listeners again because I'm I'm geeking out on all of the photos yeah, that Amy's been posting. So <laughs> they're all like, we can't even see those. This is a this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I really also um, what's interesting about again, this is how I know you is more through Facebook and the blog post. But what's interesting is how you to me is how you go back and forth between worlds that people might think are very different. So working with which you could say are upper level movements, you know, having your horse aligned perfectly so that they can do upper level dressage movements without tension. And also addressing the horse that's pushy on the ground, a completely different type of uh, quote problem or, or challenge to work with in people's minds. But the way that you present it, it's very related. And there's something again about how you, you, you bring together these two worlds, I think in a way that is very instructive but also, again, maybe shifts people's perspective a little bit. Yeah, it's all related to the horse. I mean, um, I, I can't, within a few seconds of going to teach a new student, the way that the horse even approaches me tells me a lot about how this horse is going to operate under saddle. Um, and the way that the student is sitting there telling me, you know, what they do, what they work on, who they are. I already have a pretty good idea of how this horse is going to move and how this horse is going to feel to that rider. Because I would say a large number of, I would say in English discipline, those horses beeline it over to me and stick their nose right in my face and start to just kind of, you know, like, <laughs> where's my cookies? Who are you? Pet me, you know, right, and it's, right. they think it's, you know, so cute. And he just loves scratches. And, and that horse, not only is he very pushy on the ground, but his shoulders are locked. His front feet are drilled into the ground. He has pulled through the rider's rein to come over to, to me. And so those two things are very connected. That horse is always pushing through barriers. He doesn't know where the center is. So it's not that he's being poorly behaved. It's that that horse's life does not have a fixed center for him to find and be in. So he moves around 
all over the place uh, because there, there's no structure. And so whenever he runs into something, you know, he's pulled through the reins to come over to me. Eventually the rider's like pulling him back, you know, and, and that horse just doesn't know where center is. So why would a leg or a rein mean get centered? Right. Um, and, and that's so common. The, the horses, horses like that, you know, I get training horses at my place that they'll break down fences for that same reason because their whole world has turned into um, something for them to push on. They, they get beat up by other horses because they push on other horses. They just don't know how to relate with their full life. Right. It's like they, they, they push into pressure automatically. And, mm-hmm. and it's not because, again, like their quote, problem horses it's just that there hasn't been that understanding of boundary you can't you can't have a place of peace if you don't have a boundary yes a, a yep. center by definition is in the center of something yeah it's <laughs> in the center of something it isn't just random center and swirling around in, in yeah. the cosmos and structure i know some riders can feel like structure is either they'll interpret it as being very rigid Again, mm-hmm. like we have to be in a frame at all times. Um, the horse doesn't have the ability to be expressive in movement because I have to control every element of that. Right. Or they have the opposite where they feel like it's almost like cruel to set a boundary. Like, you know, my horse and I have this kismet relationship. Right. And, you know, we just, we don't even need to have a plan. We just kind of zen out together and meantime the horse is pretty much <laughs> doing whatever it wants and um through no fault of its own i mean i would be the same right. way don't get me wrong and um and just to make it clear like my background is you know extreme amateur it's not like i came to this through any kind of you know traditional background i mean i know you've been riding since you were like five years old or something and kind of came through you know as a professional so I, whenever I talk about these things, I've made all of those mistakes like a bazillion times. And, oh, yeah, so have I. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I made them more spectacularly than you did. I was very committed to those <laughs> mistakes for a long time. And, uh, but what I like is if, we, if you can get people to just sort of see, again, that shift in perspective, like even on the ground or when you're leading your horse, like my whole thing is that I can usually tell a lot about the relationship between you and your horse just by the way you lead that horse, how you catch the horse, lead it. And that, that basic fundamental thing is actually Mm -hmm. the basis of everything. Like for, for the most, we're talking about kind of the kindergarten elements, but the kindergarten elements are underneath the more advanced things too. And so that's just something that, you know, I get a little fixated on. Yeah. That's been huge for me because my favorite teachers, you know, I would say my, my mentors and role models are, the softest people that I know and the kindest people that I know, but they are able to be that way because they have the best boundary mm-hmm. keeping of any people I've ever met. And, and that's been fascinating to me over the years as I've studied with them as, you know, they're so kind and they're so soft. And so I tried to emulate them and I realized that I was getting pushed around by clients and friends and people left and right. And I was like, mm, I think I went a little too far this way, you know? And right. so then, and then I, I have to study with them longer. I've seen them put some pretty firm boundaries on students and, um, you know, clients and, and people that kind of came in a little fiery, I would say. And, and they were able to be so kind, I think, because they have very good boundary keeping abilities. And that's been totally, that's been like this, my goal over the last few years is find that balance between softness and, you know, firmness and, and being, um, being able to be soft with people and horses, I think, lies in between those two things. It's, 
you know, you can be kind and have boundaries. Um, because people who don't have good boundaries end up getting resentful and have to make these huge corrections and you have to fight with your horse because you didn't give them information to, to know what to do. So they've done the wrong thing, but they didn't know what they were expected to do. Now they're in trouble. Right. And it's been a little unfair because you've let the horse drift into mm -hmm. behaviors that weren't ideal. And then what tends to happen, and again, I've put myself in this category, I've done this a lot, particularly back in the day, is then you overcorrect. Yes. So you've let yep. your horse drag you, or your horse is starting to drag, he's going, pushing ahead, pushing ahead with the lead rope, pushing ahead. And then finally, when he's like four feet past you, then you get upset and you yank right. him and yeah. whack no, him. No, and, no, he's no. Like, <laughs> and he's like, wait, that was great for the last 40 steps. Like, why yeah. are you ambushing me? And so that ends up creating a scenario where whenever you are, you're not really redirecting your horse, you're punishing your horse. You exactly. Don't, you, don't, you don't mean to be doing this. It's not like people right. going around trying to be mean, right. but that's basically the scenario that sets up. And, and, um, and then you can't be soft. You can't be soft. Yeah, to for good riding and good horsemanship is 100% about taking initiative to guide the horse. And, um, you know, everyone wants to have this partnership and we want to be a horse's friend, but you can't get along with your horse if you're not providing good. I mean, there's two classes of people. There's the people who want to just constantly nag their horse half to death. And there's the people who like, are like, we're best friends. And that's, that's great. Well, that's great. But um, those, you, you have to have some idea of what you expect the horse to do and how to give that to the horse you're basically taking responsibility for how they move and where they go and and a plan for them otherwise they have to figure out what else they can do um something that i usually do with my students is i put them on the end of the lead rope and i have them close their eyes and i do groundwork with them the way they do it with their horse oh, and what usually cool. ends up happening is they have this like super loosey-goosey lead rope with no feel it in at all because they want to be soft so this is flopped you know that they can't feel so they close their eyes and i ask them to go with their loose lead line the way that they do and they don't feel it so then i hit them with the flag and then they jump forward and then they can't find the lead rope. So they like wallow around and then they come in close to me. So then they run into my flag. And so it turns into this constant nagging for me where I keep having to flag them away from me because they won't get off of me. And they right. open their eyes. And they're like, I didn't know what you wanted. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> You're like, hello. <laughs> now go apologize to your horse and try it again. Because That's so funny. That's a great, that's a great yeah. exercise. I really like and that. And I found that people are not nearly as tolerant of the mistakes they make when I do that to them that they expect right. the horse to be. <laughs> right. like that. Yeah, they resent you. They're like, hey, I'm not How could you that. be so mean to me? Right, right. It's just confusion is like the hardest thing for a horse. Like it's sort of like it you want to you want to set it up so the horse learns to search, but if the answer is never right or they right. So it's really erratic or inconsistent then they just stop searching or they, yeah. and, and that can take various forms depending on the horse's personality and, and background. Yeah. And um, so I think it's really interesting too. Like I'll sometimes be, again, I, I do very basic kind of things like with halter and lead rope and I'll be working with someone, let's say whose horse is a little younger or a little bit distracted and we'll be talking and the person's talking to me about their day or whatever, or what's going, what's been going on with the horse and the horse's eyes are all over the place. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, jiggle lead rope or look over here or do this or kind of get her with you. And, and sometimes the people get frustrated. They're like, well, I, I can't talk to you. I have to be staring at her all the time. And I'm like, pretty much like, it's kind of like eventually it gets easier, but depending on your horse, like, you know, I've worked with some horses that are really distracted and it really is like, 
I'm walking, I'm leading that horse up the driveway and I'm not talking to anyone. People are saying, right. and I'm like, I'm working with, I'll just kind of point at the horse. Like I can't even, because this particular horse needs that focus all the time. <laughs> and um, once you get used to doing that, it gets a lot easier, but that awareness yes. is sometimes I think hard to, uh, for people to come to without a lot of kind of coaching or yeah. example. And I feel like that's a big thing is awareness that people miss. Like you say, like the horse's expressions where the horse who's herd bound and you're working on that when you halter them, you're not, you haven't even left the pasture yet, but you're working on what's coming up in their expressions. Whereas a lot of people don't notice that until they're on the horse and there's a problem. Right. Even though it's been building up slowly. So, yeah, I think awareness is, I think one of the, biggest things that I focus on for riders um, is it's not something that we typically think about in our day-to-day -day lives. You know, we drive to and from work and we kind of zonk out for the drive because I do this every day. We're, we're not habituated to being aware, most mm -hmm. of us. Um, and with horses being aware, it's absolutely essential to guiding them in the first place. Um, because you if you are aware, you can see what needs to be done and do it before there are problems. So that's what I feel like most of my job is, is to head off problems and create an environment where those problems aren't something the horse feels that they need to do anyway. Um, and then when I have my training horses going pretty well and my students come out to, to ride them, um, they're not habituated to being aware. And so those problems come right back up, you know. Um, I have four horses of my own who are... Um, they were given to me because they were problem horses that just weren't going to work out in the situation that they were in. And they do really well with me and they're pretty well adjusted now, but I know that in the event that they were rehomed, if they were rehomed, those problems would come right back very quickly. You know, if you don't see a problem coming up and you continue doing what you're doing, those horses are, they, those horses are, they know how to explode Mm -hmm. Those behaviors are very ingrained throughout their life, and they know exactly how to get out of situations through panic and, you know, big, scary behaviors, because that's what they learned in their, in their younger lives. It's better if you don't teach horses that in the first place, which is why being aware is so, so important. It is, and I think, too, in kind of the modern era or whatever, there's rarely a lot of consequence for a person for being unaware most of the time, just in their day-to-day -day oh, yeah. life. Go to the you grocery know. store, you know, I know. And find people standing in the middle of the aisle, not looking, looking at their phone, blocking the doorways. I mean, it's like everywhere. Unawareness is just normal. So when right. I have people come for a lesson and I'm like, okay, you have to be aware. My, one of my students put it in the funniest way ever. She said, it feels like crying in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's really, really hard, <laughs> but it does get normal. <laughs> yeah. I think too, the pre, pre pandemic and all that, just like normal grocery shopping, because now everyone's kind of, you know, masked up and whatever. But before COVID hit, um, I had this whole thing about grocery shopping it's not my favorite thing anyway, but I go into grocery shop, you know, I have a plan I'm going to go grocery shop. And I was amazed at people's lack of spatial awareness. Like that has yeah, gotten definitely yeah. worse in like the last, maybe let's say four or five years. Yeah. And people are just so kind of in their phone or whatever. And people would literally like walk right into me. Yeah. Like not, they weren't being rude or deliberately hostile, but they literally, they had no spatial awareness. Like, and I'm yeah. like, 
and I'm right there. And I was like, wow, I, I'm so glad that you guys don't have horses because you would be really difficult <laughs> like, to work with. But it's not like because people are jerks or whatever. It's like we all get no, used to. No, they just aren't aware. They just aren't aware. And, and I so. teach clinics with 10, 12 people and, and they're running into each other's horses, running into the wall. And it's not because they are unable to control their horses because they aren't habituated to looking around. And so yeah. now they're in a space where it's full of other horses and full of other distractions and they're still looking down at the horse's neck and the right. horse is going over to the horse in front of them. They don't notice. And you know, uh, it's kind of a mess sometimes, which is one of the reasons I'm kind of getting out of doing group clinics because I think it's just much more effective to have one-on-one, -on -one, uh, situations. But yeah, uh, lack of awareness I think is so normal that we don't even see it as a problem. Right, right. And I think an element that horses bring, and, and maybe more people can become aware of this um, in a different way, is that they require focus. So, mm -hmm. and they kind of require that you come into their world if you want mm -hmm. to be successful with them. So one of my hopes is that, you know, in, as things have kind of changed or what's kind of going on with the pandemic or whatever that one of the big benefits comes that people come to appreciate horsemanship more or just are drawn to that more certainly it's much more soothing i feel like to actually get to know your horse and understand mm -hmm. body language it's actually a good antidote to tension and anxiety which seems to be a yeah. big part of everybody's life right now yeah and and then the fact that horse shows are not necessarily as active as they used to be depending on what part of the country you're in or the type of show mm -hmm. So I'm hoping there's an opportunity for people to see that this is not just about also touchy-feely, Disney, good vibes. It's like, hey, this is really practical for performance. Yeah. If your horse is balanced physically and mentally, if you're aware of these small things that you can adjust, you can kind of do less sooner, you're going to have so much better performance. It's going to be so much more fun for the both of you as it's Yeah, and safer. I mean, it's totally. Yeah. so much safer. I, you know, I haven't had an injury knock on wood in a while, but the last injury I had was 100% horse expression the whole time said, I'm not okay. Kept going. Next thing you know, I'm like doing this little thing in the air and thinking all the way down, like that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were many warning signs. Um, and I used to train very differently than I do now, where it was more about fixing behaviors than I think the systemic approach of why is this horse feeling the need to behave this way? Uh, I'm much safer now. I don't feel, I mean, knock on wood, stuff happens, but I, I don't feel that dangerous part of my job anymore. And I still take on very dangerous horses regularly. Every, every day I work with problem behavior horses that are very dangerous or, you know, I'm about to put this horse down if you can't figure this out, kind mm -hmm. of a kind of a horse. And I don't feel unsafe most of the time because I just take things much differently than I used to. And in those cases, um, what is like the first thing that you do like as to assess the horse? Are you looking at braces in the horse, physical braces? Or are you looking more at, uh, you mean when they first come to my place? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Just first, what are the first things you kind of look at? I mean, pretty much the way that the horse holds his body is a really good immediate indicator of, you know, horse, they'll have like their skin will be really tight over their, body or their eye just looks really sunken and, and kind of worried and their ears will be tight or their lip will be tight. You know, they have like, uh, um, my horses that I have now, I remember first seeing them and thinking that's not a very pretty horse. And then when they relaxed, I was like, wow, that horse is gorgeous. And yeah. it didn't change anything except it relaxed. 
Um, and they'll, they'll move tightly. They just will generally have kind of a pinchy look and they don't thrive. You know, they'll either be overweight or underweight and their feet have problems. They just, um, that's a pretty good indicator in the way that they hold their body. And then the other thing is how they get along with the horses around them mm-hmm. and the space that they're in. That tells me a lot about what that horse's needs are and how I can help them. I, I just had a horse go home who could not get along with any horse. He grew up um, in a solitary, I think in a stall by himself, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah, yeah he, he never went out in a herd. He was a, he was a late gelded stallion so he was gelded when he was purchased but this horse um was very quiet and sold as a bomb proof horse but he had this very pinched face all the time Mm. and so they would ride him and he never did anything explosive but they just felt like there's not a lot there like it worries me that I don't feel like you're there so I took him home and um he could not go out with other horses without I mean he had attacked one of the horses at their place so bad that both horses to be pried apart and get the vet out and there was oh, blood everywhere. Geez. I mean, he was so aggressive with other horses. And when I worked him off of my horse, this poor horse was trembling. I mean, he didn't know what to do with himself around other horses. And so as I worked with him and got him feeling relaxed, it's just me. Then I got him relaxed. I worked him off of my horse because I did the groundwork that I would do off of her. So it was like, hey, here's another horse. Here am I. We're both here for you. Uh, and then I would have him integrate with a herd and do, you know, round penning with other horses and him in the same spot. So they were all working together. And then slowly he actually did go out with a herd and he was peaceful. And this poor horse was so much more relaxed. But the time I sent him home, um, he's out with a herd still I'm doing great. That's awesome. But yeah, it's really exciting. Um, but that horse was so anxious and so um, he looked safe and he looked still, but he was checked out mentally. Um, so that when he did come out, it was explosive. I always find it unnerving when I can't tell what's going on with the horse when I'm on their back. So oh, it's so creepy. It's, it's so good. creepy. I mean, <laughs> no. you could argue you could argue that I go too much the other way because I've worked with. It's not that I'm some like brilliant. It's, it's not right. that at all. But I I I was not qualified to work with these X-ray sources, but. The charity was small. We didn't have any money. They weren't going to get adopted, so I would kind of climb right. up on top of them and hope for the best, right? And but you know, you always most of the time you get a lot of feedback with mm-hmm. horses off the track. They're like, I don't feel good about this, or I'm feeling right, right. about that. So it's like sometimes it's way too much information. Like, could you please be a little bit repressed emotionally? Right. But at least you know where they're at. But yeah. I've ridden some um, kind of you know again bomb proof, one of my least favorite terms, horses ranchy type horses and I've been like I feel like I, I have no idea what's going on in there oh, and, that, yeah, that, that and, scary. I, and I find that scary because I need to know I also want to know that you're actually like paying attention to your feet like are you actually here like in case I miss something in the terrain or whatever yeah. I'd like to know that you're looking out for yourself well I think those are some of the most dangerous horses yeah and I I wrote an article about it and I think it's in my book too about bomb proof horses and how when they do come to uh, it's generally not good and it's kind of hard to predict. It can be really unsafe and they don't know where their feet are. They don't know about their environment. And I think it's becoming more and more common with these, you know, clinics becoming more popular, which is a good thing, but also a bad thing because you have like bomb proofing clinics and obstacle clinics and everyone's got to get, you know, the, the flag, the horse, so the horse doesn't react. Everybody wants this horse who doesn't react to anything, this dead broke horse. So everyone's goal is to just take all response out of the horse. So the horse just stands there while I crack a whip off his back and the tractor goes around 
And so most people, they look at that and they're like, wow, that horse is something amazing. And, and what I see is a very shut down, unhappy horse that I wouldn't put one leg over, let alone two, for yeah. all the money in the world. I, give yeah. me a spicy, snorty Arab all day long. Yeah. I know like, what we're doing. Exactly. Exactly. They're so honest, too. They're like, I... I am hysterical right now and I want to, I'm going to, I want to share this with you and you're going to be part of it. It's like, okay, I know where you're at. I appreciate that. You and know? they understand and are aware of their environment and they their are. feet, you know, and yeah. that to me is like, why would you want to sit on a horse who didn't know where their feet were or, or understand their environment? And I don't know about you, but I've been on actual trail rides where there are animals where you can hear cougars or bears or, or see like one time I had a, a badger pop out of the grass at my horse and I was like, let's oh, get out of here. <laughs> <Run>! <laughs> Sometimes you need their flight. And exactly. I mean, it could very well save your life. So yeah. if you spend all your time kicking that out of the horse, uh, there's going to be some detrimental effects at undoing their instinct. Yeah. And then they often, if they get, uh, maybe I see this more in some certain kinds of performance horses where the discipline is requiring a very calm exterior, a very set exterior. They want a certain headset. Mm -hmm. And um, most of their higher performance work is done in the show pen. And then, you know, maybe down the road, they get purchased as a step-up horse or whatever, mm -hmm. and they get into a different environment. And then those horses just kind of fall apart. Yeah. They are so used to sort of being under the surface at all times you know, right. they're, and no one's trying to be cruel. It's just kind right. of been that what's sort of been their, their life, the way they understand it. it's the stone plie box, you know, so right. yep. and then they, they don't really learn coping skills then because you don't want them to be sensitive. You don't want them to respond. Right. You don't want them to learn that if something's scary, that they need to look the person up. You just want them to be little drones. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then something comes up as it will. And then the horses have no ability to yeah. think through it. And that's when you get things that are scary with a horse that's so scared all of a sudden, or sometimes they get really resentful and the horse you think is dead broke and so quiet and bomb proof. That horse actually has been behind the aids his whole life. And then someone mm -hmm. finally really asks him to go. And he's like, I don't think so. And he comes right. up with a kind of a resentment that you had no idea was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, those horses, yeah, they're just yeah. being held together through routine and, uh, they don't actually, I would say they actually don't understand very much at all. They just know day in, day out, keep your head down, do this thing. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. So I work with sometimes two horses that raced a long time. We call them war horses. So they're still at the track mm -hmm. at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And then when they come off the track, there's usually less of a market for them, right? Mm -hmm. They're a little older and they have sports injuries. And they're really interesting horses. Uh, they tend to have kind of big personalities to run that long. Um, and some of them are shut down, but in a very different way. Like they, they'll just be like very stoic. Mm -hmm. And, but if you're able to introduce them to some of these principles of groundwork or this idea that your jaw can actually move, which is something mm -hmm. that fascinating. Is, they're, like, <laughs> yeah. they're like, get out of town. Like, really? No, that, that's, that's crazy talk lady. That's poor things. Yes, I know. And then, but they, they'll be so soft when they, they recognize yeah. that. Like, it's just really yeah. interesting. Like they might never be, they're definitely not going to be like bridal horses or anything like that. Right. Right. But they, they provide so much information. And so it's a really interesting mix to me of a horse that whose job was to be a racehorse, which is, kind of more related to what they do naturally, which is to run mm -hmm. and um, as, you know, just animals of nature. 
and then yet they got kind of habituated to just just running so you have they're kind of shut down and they're kind of not and so it's just right. interesting and you really get to see how those braces come into play as yeah. well so that's pretty interesting yeah, we say you can't ruin them. That's why we have them. So like we, <laughs> yeah. so our interns, we have interns who want to be veterinarians or they want to be horse trainers or many of them want to be horsemen. And these horses are great because you learn so much uh, from them in ways that are kind of unexpected. And Yeah, uh, that's one thing I've been very lucky in myself is that I've been working with horses who are so problematic that I have so much room to experiment because I'm like, I can't make it any worse, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's a great thing. It's so cool you're doing yeah, it's that. Yeah, kind work. of fun for me. Yeah. So it was kind of unintentional. I thought I was going to be a normal horse trainer, and uh, it turned out that that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least not. I mean, I guess I could have, but that means you have to kick out. I, I, I get a lot of my work actually from other horse trainers who are like, "Hey, I have this training horse who does the scary thing. I'm not dealing with it. You fix it." And yeah. so I realized that even in the horse training world, in the professional world, there's a huge lack of understanding of horses needs horses behavior horses you know like uh you know of course he's gonna be a little kooky if he's in a stall 23 hours a day and you know you might want to turn him out right, <laughs> right. Help a little right right i've worked with um a few years ago there was a horse that uh that i had through the charity that was going in with a dressage trainer and nice trainer, good person, very mm -hmm. meticulous. And uh, it was basically a trial situation. And mm -hmm. I went out to watch them work with the horse. It was a big horse. He was super sweet. He was not what I would say Harvard material. I mean, he wasn't a dumb horse, but he was one of those horses who was very, <laughs> I need just the facts. Like he didn't, yeah. he, he wasn't like a chess player, you know, so he's right. very like this. And uh, a little bit pushy because he was fairly large and he'd been home raised. His, his breeders were really nice, responsible people. When he was done racing, they wanted him to have a good spot. But, you mm -hmm. know, they weren't horsemen. They hand fed him and all that. And so he was just kind of like, right. you know. And so the trust trainer loved his movement and so wanted to kind of see how he'd do in, in, in her program. And so it was a trial situation. And I went out to watch and um, she was going to put side reins on for the first time. And uh, which is not maybe one of my favorite things, but you know, when you are a charity and you're adopting out horses, you know, you want to have, right. you know, people need to do what they need to do. So this is a fairly tall horse and she put uh, those reins on, they were very, very tight ones. Mm. And, um, and that horse got this look on his face that, I mean, it was just even through his less than, again, highly, he had a very kind of placid face. And I was like, you need to take those off right now. He's going to mm -hmm. flip. He's going to flip. Right, right. And she's like, she's like, no, this is how they look. Like, I've had a lot of experience with this. And I'm like, technically, I still own the horse. <laughs> Get those things off before I come in there with a knife. Like, I was just yeah. like, because I'm like a really nice person. Like, I'm very like, oh, yeah. And I was like, they're coming off one way or the other. Like, They know, all look like they're about to flip over. This is yeah. normal. <laughs> this is normal. And I'm like, yeah, we don't do it that way. Like, that's just not going to you know? And and one of the, the trainer's fears was that she was like, well, I can't believe you, you free lunge these horses and around him. Like, that's so dangerous. And I'm like, right. You know, and, he, and I'm like, I don't know. They haven't usually reared and flipped on me. So, but it was not to make fun of that person. Like that was a, she no, was yeah. an incredible rider and a really, really good person. So it's really, I'm not, and I have no standing. I could never bring a horse to Grand Prix or anything right. like that. You know, I couldn't even ride a Grand Prix horse, but I just, that was so clear to me. It was like, this horse was screaming. And then she's like, oh no, it's just how they look. And I'm like, 
no. So there's yeah. disconnects sometimes yeah. in the in between a professional trainer who is totally more well qualified than me, absolutely, in terms of skill, in terms of accomplishment. I mean, absolutely understand that. But then there's this idea of not right. getting that basic thing and just not even seeing it. And then then they go, all of a sudden that horse just reared and flipped and broke its back. And it's like, oh yeah. Oh my God, no, it's not how it well, So many of those accomplishments have no value to the horse. Like, it's great that you have your like bronze, silver and gold medal. But you know, if you can't tell that a horse is going to flip over, right? that is an accomplishment of no value. And I often... I almost always actually I wear my t-shirt my baseball cap my jeans my area boots and I go to teach everywhere in that same clothing no matter where I'm going and I almost do it as like a little bit of a you know <laughs> whether I'm going into a barn with a chandelier or somebody's down the road backyard you know pasture I'm not changing my clothes and I notice the way that people look at me when I come into their chandelier barn and they're like who do you think who are you to tell me you know and I'm like well I'm the one who can help you with your horse. And by the end of the lesson, sometimes people are like, well, where did you learn? You know, this is very fascinating, but who taught you? And I know that that's their way of saying like, who are you? Right, right. What, <laughs> why what, are you? <laughs> what European trainer have you been with that you're just you like don't downplaying? Have an accent. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any medals. You're not wearing boots that I like recognize the brand of, you know, who are right. you? And I do that. You know, I like to wear those. Like, I'm, I don't like to dress up. I don't like wearing breeches. I'll wear them for shows, but they're not comfortable. But I almost on purpose maintain the same jeans and a t-shirt attire no matter where I go because I think that people need to look past the accomplishments and the medals and the, like, who you think you are facade. And I want them to focus on the horse and the changes in the horse and the actual content of the lesson because I've noticed that people are so willing to ride with someone with a good name and a good appearance and they don't notice that what happened in the lesson actually was detrimental to their so horse because they get so excited about like I rode with so-and-so and you know lesson was $300 for 45 minutes and you know oh but now my horse is rearing but it was a great lesson, it was a great lesson. <laughs> I, I took a lot of selfies and I mean my my Instagram feed blew up with those photos so it was or the like $300 lesson where they're like inside leg inside leg outside rain get him on the yeah. bit more leg right. Right. Like, more that leg. was $300 <laughs> <laughs> I could have recorded that and just put it on the fence for you. Oh, that's so funny. I was at a clinic once just auditing and it was a very famous person in a specific discipline. And, um, and of course, just what you're talking about, like people were flocking. They were so excited to be doing individual lessons with this trainer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I had heard of this trainer too. And, you know, I was curious and everything. And um, you know, the trainer, trainer thought their adulation was pretty pretty merited. He, he was, mm -hmm. he felt, he felt pretty good about himself. And he was talking about, there was this horse, nervous horse, a uh, really beautiful, beautiful, big horse next to him. And, uh, and the horse was super tight. Like you could see his mouth was super tight and he was really anxious. And, um, but he wasn't like doing anything on the surface that was a misbehavior. He just maybe was having a little trouble having more extended gates in this particular mm -hmm. clinic. And, um, so the instructor had uh, the tr the teacher had the student come up to him with the horse and he's showing them what to do. Sorry, you just, another you, phone call. You just had another phone call, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and the horse is just like starting to relax a little bit, but not really. And then the clinician reaches over and he does the whole 
pets the horse on the neck, oh, slaps yeah. him really hard. Yeah. And he's like, that horse, he, he wants to be in my presence. And that's why he relaxed right then. And I'm on the sidelines going, that didn't happen. Like there was no relaxation there. Yeah. But it was just like, and of course the student was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm so glad I brought my horse. And nothing against, <laughs> like, but I was like, for all of the um, expertise and the incredible credentialing, and again, in a discipline I could never even be baseline, you know, successful in, zero feel. Like there was just zero feel. And um, and I was just like, wow, it's just, it's just amazing. Like you just, how do you, it's just an interesting thing to me because like I said, I, I really came to this in a very small way, a very basic way. I always feel like I'm barely on a kindergarten level. And then I see something like that and I'm always like, what is wrong with the world? Like I should not I be know. noticing that, you know? So. It always cracks me up when you go to these dressage clinics and they have the, the, the list of who's riding and what level they're at. Cause everyone wants to be like, well, I'm like, I'm fourth. Yes. You know, they always have to put the level next to the person's name. So people will come out and watch and it's like, you know, somebody's schooling pre-St. George and then three people come out to help hold the horse while they get on. Cause the horse is like a firecracker and can't hold still. And then they're like, okay, now to practice the canter pirouette. And it's like, it's like oh. you could practice your horse standing still at the mountain block. Right. It's actually, it's actually going to help the canter pirouette ultimately, you know? So yeah, I had a, a friend who, um, you know, she was at a barn and again, good trainer and everything, successful trainer, also dressage trainer. And there was a horse in training, brilliant horse, you know, incredible, but you could never really get him safely from the trailer to the actual warm up ring without a huge amount of like entourage. Cause the horse would basically be hysterical. You know, yeah. you would get him off the trailer, get him into the warm-up ring, hysteric. But he performed great in the ring. Right. It was like they're like, that's just his process. He's just right. a diva, and I'm like, he's right. just, of course, <laughs> troubled. I mean, like, what what is going on? And I'm like, what do I know? I'm just gonna, you know, totally not Grand Prix over here. So I'm just gonna yeah. sit here, sit here in my jeans, and you know, smile a lot. <laughs> kind of nutty, I know. Yeah. So you just to, cause we're kind of, actually we've almost been an hour. I don't know if, oh, wow. um, I know if that just happened too. I had Kathleen Beckham on the other day. We just okay. did an interview too. It's the same kind of thing where it's just like, we're talking so easily, but I, I would think that some of the people who are listening in would like to hear just a little bit too about some of the teachers you've had. Um, just because I started out talking about how, you know, classical dressage and also horsemanship, problem horses, and then also, you know, fundamentals, things like that. So do you mind talking about that a little bit? It's also because I'm curious. I don't know all of your background. Um, well, I started out riding, you know, hunter jumper as a kid. Um, and then I did a little barrel racing, which I really suck at. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I wasn't good at either jumping or barrel racing, actually. Um, but I started riding with Buck, I would say, 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. I rode with him for a few years. And then after that, I discovered uh, Brent Graff. And to me, that was like, wow, this is so much softer and so much more considerate and so for the horse in every way. And Brent mm -hmm. is not only a beautiful horseman, but just, just a stellar human being in general. So I've been riding with him ever since. Um, and... I've ridden with Mark Rashid, um, and I really like him. Um, but I would say my main teacher now, um, I live about an hour away from her, and I get out to her as often as I can, is Teresa Doherty. 
oh, and wow. she yeah. studied she studied in Germany with uh, Egon von Neindorf and Walter Zettel for 20 years, I think. Wow. And she is just also a stellar human being. Not only is she incredible and possesses this information that, you know, you just don't find that often. You know, your average dressage lesson is like push-pull, kick-spur, right. restrain, restrain, and she's so the opposite but you know she'll teach me a lesson in her sweatpants with her little sun hat on and like, you would never know this and she, i think she's 70 i mean you would and she'll ride any horse i bring if i'm like can you get on and show me what you mean she'll just pop on but yeah. you would never know because of how humble and how easygoing and how sweet and lovely she is that she has this experience with these incredible you know masterful riders um and she is a masterful rider herself and that's why i like i'm so attracted to people who not only are good with horses, but who are just good people. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of my pet peeves that people are like, well, you know, he's kind of rough around the edges, but he's a really good horseman. Right. Um, and, and to me, you can't really be both. I just don't think you can because the people who are mean to other people, that's in them and that comes out and the horse feels and knows that. And you can have good timing and you can have excellent technical abilities but that's in you and it comes out in everything you do and so mm -hmm. I have the, the mentors that I have now and the teachers that I ride with and that I want to emulate are people who are the same person with other people as they are with horses yeah they have good boundaries they have people sometimes at clinics can be a little ridiculous so they are, are willing to set boundaries but they are kind and they're there for a cute horse and human that that's really important to me. to me yeah that makes sense because that's that old saying you know how you do anything is how you do everything yes so, absolutely and so this idea of integrity across the board and it's a hard standard to maintain mm -hmm. you know there's so much emotional discipline that goes into being a good horseman oh, gosh it's be, so hard it, it's so hard and then to be a good person too like both of those are linked yeah and i've been around brent enough to see that who he is is always who he is and that mm -hmm. to me is so miraculous that like i can't manage it sometimes i slip up and i get mad and, or have bad days or i get you know to where i don't have good boundaries or have too much boundary you know i haven't figured out how to be a perfect person all the time yet um but i've been around a lot of horse people to see them say one thing and do another you know when nobody of import is around watching or they can't catch the horse or they can't get the horse in the trailer who they really are comes out at those moments. And I've just seen enough of it to start to make the connection between how they treat people and how they behave behind the scenes that um, the, the people that I am riding with now, I would do anything to be half the people that they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that means you have the best teachers. And no, they're great. Yeah. I'm so, so lucky. Yeah. I, I just have enjoyed this interview so much, Amy. And oh, good. I'm glad. I, Me too. I, I'd love to do it again with you. Maybe we could do a, a, a shorter one on a specific topic or something like that. But sure. I just, it, I feel like we barely got started. And that's how it always is with, with the really, with the really great horsemen and horsewomen out there is that oh, thank you. I feel like, I'm like, oh, I just had 20 minutes. I look up, it's over an hour. So yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, oh, you're welcome. Thanks you know, for having me. Yeah. I look forward to just following your adventures more and then getting to know you some more with later podcast interviews. That's great. Thank okay, you. Great. You're welcome. 
If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about Amy and her work, please visit her Facebook page, Amy Skinner Horsemanship, or go to her website, amyskinnerhorsemanship.com. She also has written a book called To Catch a Horse, and that's available on her website as well. And if you wish this podcast episode was longer, I can tell you that I did too, and I am planning to invite Amy back for a second interview sometime later this year. As always, I thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.